Look, I look like that episode of Twilight Zone. Yeah, you do. <laughs> the melting face. It's a good episode, though. Uh, it's stop. Please stop. It's creepy. <laughs> oh. There's another episode where they use the mask from that episode. It's called The Masks, and it's really good. Oh, yeah. That is a good one. I love that's the Twilight one of my Zone so much. Mm. Uh, welcome to, to Mid Wretched. Yeah. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> welcome back. <laughs> It's good to see you, kind of see you, uh, we're, be with you. Yeah, we're here. We're yeah. ready. We're exhausted. I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. I am exhausted. Why are you exhausted? We're exhausted for similar reasons. Similar reasons. I just moved into my wonderful, beautiful new house. And it's so beautiful. It's, oh my God, you guys, it's so cute. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's going to be issues that come along, but I really want you guys to know that I have the cutest living room and the greatest kitchen, and I'm going to have a wonderful uh, vegetable garden. Oh. And my partner, who has never done home repair before, is so cute. Mm-hmm. I was like born and bred at Lowe's and Home Depot. Menards. Hello. We actually didn't have Menards in Beaver Creek. We were too bougie. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but I have not, I haven't lived in a house house since I was like 15. Mm. So I'm finally like super psyched to do all these home projects. Yeah. And my partner who has literally never drilled a hole in his life Aww. is like learning. So I got to supervise him. And I know when a lot of people are like, oh, I supervise them. No, like I was actually like, Mark this, use this to the guide hole. <laughs> like, That's awesome. I love it's that. It's so fun. It's yeah. so cute. My dad came out and helped him grind some metal poles down to so that we now have a closet. Aww. And uh, I'm feeling so nostalgic and so productive. Yeah, it's so great. My body hurts. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so great, though, because you have you really deserve it. And when you moved to Chicago... 11 years ago that's when we moved right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you've had like escalatingly good apartments right like the first one was like scary was trash and then yeah mm -hmm. and they've gotten better and better and better and better and then the last one you had it was like this is probably about like the nicest apartment that exists so the next step is gonna have to be your own little home (laughs) And it's just so guys, I never lived in like a high rise or anything like that. (laughs) No, I'm just it was like a nice little barometer is really low. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a cute little three flat with a balcony. (laughs) Yeah. It was it was very cute. That was really nice. Really, nice. Hi, Mindy in the sky bunker. Yeah, right. (laughs) Your docs. Love you, girl. So I'm just so happy for you and I can't wait to see it. Thank you. I am so excited for you to come and maybe we'll have honeysuckles and possibly grapes. Who knows? Oh, so cool. I can't wait. Uh, anyway, Tommy, tell us why you're tired. I am tired because you just finished buying a house and I have just started. Yep. To try to buy a house. 
And you had a very random event. <laughs> we did. So um, we live in a very aspirational neighborhood. And we have a very cute, like, 100-year-old bungalow in that neighborhood. And the property values have gone insane. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very sought-after neighborhood, but we have, like, this one of the smallest houses in the neighborhood. Yeah. It, it's a very cute little bungalow, but it is yes. a little bungalow. It's adorable. Lots of character. Very small. And, like, the features are really small. Like, the bathroom, you have to, like, wiggle into sideways if you weigh more than 47 pounds. Like, that kind of stuff. So... <laughs> really small uh but really sweet and i love i love this house and i'm really sad to think that we'll be leaving it but uh we have to because we just don't have enough space for our lives so we got a phone call from the mortgage loan originator who originated the original mortgage and she was like so was wondering if you are selling your house to me because i want it (laughs) and we're like what Uh She's like somebody who's like searching for a single story house in our neighborhood, which is really, really rare. Um, really rare. Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, uh, I guess we should think about it. And then she offered us a number that like meant that there would be like a 70K profit on this house or like a 60K profit, something bonkers like that. Um, <laughs> so we said yes. And we are now in the process of trying to find a new house in a ridiculously awful seller's market yeah so um it's just very stressful and everything like houses are selling here like within hours like Mm -hmm. uh we looked at this really hideous house on saturday right now it's sunday we record on sundays so look at this hideous house on saturday morning we got there at about 10 o'clock and by this morning at 10 o'clock it was already sold and the house was hideous and it had the (laughs) original from 1962 it was yes oh dear oh dear so um yes so it's just like if you see a house and you like it at all then you could picture yourself like remotely living in it it like you have to make an offer because you're going to be one of like 15 people making an offer on that house and they're going to say like okay best offers by five o'clock and you have no time to turn that around so it's stressful yeah I can't it's so crazy for me to think about like Indiana is like this most ridiculous yeah well here's here's the why I was talking to my realtor about this and Mm -hmm. I told you about it too a little bit like in this changing like COVID and into post-COVID world people have discovered that they can work remotely and live you know away from their jobs and stuff so what that means is that people from these high and big cities like Chicago are buying houses in the Michiana area basically online like seeing a house online making an offer never even looking at it what is really upsetting about that if you're a humble townie like myself (laughs) is that in South Bend uh we both make really good incomes like yeah yeah our, our salaries are both like well above average for South Bend and our home prices used to be commensurate with those salaries but now people who come from higher cost of living areas who just have higher salaries by virtue of living in those areas are buying houses Mm -hmm. here so um we like we can't keep up because we have the cost of living salaries 
that were yeah. made for the cost of living that we've historically had, right? So, yeah. like um, this house that we are are currently living in, our little bungalow was originally purchased for seventy two, and has doubled in value. Doubled in value. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, but neither, we're both in education, so our salaries are not changing with the tide, and the way that we work is not changing with that tide either. So we're kind of just stuck in this rolling sea, but it is fun to house shop. My three-year-old loves it. She, oh, I bet. Oh, my gosh, just empty rooms and, like, closets to jump out of. She's just having, like, the time of her life. <laughs> so it's just, like, it feels so good to be recording because I missed you yeah. this week. And with all these crazy things going on, it's, like, we've just felt so disconnected. I know. Murder brings us together. Murder centers me. I have been so out of my routine and my element, and you know me. I, like, desperately need routines, and without yes. them, I just am a puddle of anxiety. Yes. <sighs> yeah. So I will say the other really good thing before you start your story is that um, the fact that I am now shopping for a house means that we have two new fans, my realtors. <gasps> oh, yay. Yeah. Hi, realtors. So they both subscribed like the second that they I told them what I did and that I needed space in my new house for a studio. <laughs> <laughs> so that was so great. And now every time we see a house, they're like, this could be your murder pod den. <laughs> Oh my god, that's literally the best thing. Let's not disappoint them. No, yeah, we we won't. I promise, we won't. And it's your week to tell a story. I'm excited. Uh, it is my week to tell a story. Uh, all right, let's get into it. We've had enough pre-show. Let's do yeah. this thing. And I have like no segue into this because this is kind of a sad story. They all are. Um, but I'm also I'm gonna need you to empty your rage pocket because you're gonna need lots of room in there. Okay. All right, empty. empty. It's empty. Right. It's empty. All right. Today we are going back to St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh. Yeah, which we last visited way back at the Weepy Voiced Killer. We did, yeah. We like St. Paul. We do like St. Paul. We're actually going to visit a different kind of area of St. Paul today. Mm. Um, we're going to visit the thriving Hmong community. Awesome. Of St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're going to jump back to 1993, which is. Oh, exciting. wow. We're going way back. All right. We are. And we're going my favorite era, the early 90s. But first, to give you a little bit of background on the Hmong population in Minnesota, because as I was researching this, it's like, yeah, St. Paul has like the largest Hmong population outside of East Asia. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? Why? Yeah, it's so interesting. So first, I'm going to talk a little bit about them. And we're going to get into our case. Um, the Hmong are an ethnic group with roots in China, but more recent history in Laos and Burma. And like I said, St. Paul has currently the highest um, Hmong population in the U.S. And this is largely because, so back in the mid to late 1970s, large refugee populations um, were seeking immigration to the U.S. And there just happened to be a ton of volunteer agencies that worked in that area. So apparently, and I, I didn't go too much into like the refugee resettlement contracts, but there are specific organizations like Catholic Charities and the Lutheran Social Services that work with the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Mm. And like they're the ones who get all those contracts to help resettle and find housing and whatnot for large refugee populations. So that's how that happens. So interesting. Yeah, I find it it's interesting because they were 
all religious organizations. Hmm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I guess that doesn't totally surprise me, but yeah. I think that's it. Just the, the business end of that, I guess, is just really that's kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. I've worked with Catholic charities a little bit because they do a lot of like uh, early childhood stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've done some consultation with them in the past, but yeah, that's yeah. all I know about them, really. I went on a date with a guy that worked for them once. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, very quick, kind of painfully quick overview about kind of just like Hmong refugees in the U.S. So basically during the Vietnam War, um, Laos, which was home to a lot of uh, Hmong people, was declared a, quote, neutral area during the Vietnam War. Mm. But that didn't stop the U.S. from recruiting Laotian people, specifically a lot of the Hmong, to fight on their side. Mm, Of course it didn't. Yeah, of course it didn't. And then, of course, after the U.S. pulled out of Vietnam, like, whoops, biesies. Yeah. Because that's how that happened, basically. Pretty much, yeah. They kind of left all of these groups just hanging. Hmm. And then, of course, the Vietnamese retaliated against them. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the U.S. came back in the 80s and they said, OK, we'll agree to resettlement contracts against these populations that were basically just being destroyed out of retaliation for their participation in the war. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of cultural trauma. That's a lot of cultural trauma. And the U.S. was like, okay, we'll give you resettlement contracts and allow the Hmong to settle in the U.S. And that's how or these organizations like Catholic Charities and Lutheran Social Services in mm-hmm. specifically St. Paul helped to resettle a lot of these people. What an interesting culture shock to go from East Asia to St. Paul, Minnesota. Right. I, and I think to me that was the reason of like, that's really weird because it's such a weird just like, culture and environment shock yeah 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 usually you like you when you see pockets like there's well i guess there's a lot of different kinds of reasons but usually things start on the coasts and then just kind of like ebb their way in kind of inward yeah yeah but that certainly hasn't been the case for like detroit and it's a huge population of middle eastern people so yeah Side note, my uh, new area I live in has a million Middle Eastern restaurants, and I'm super excited. You need me. I do. Anyway. Sample all of them (laughs) and tell you if they're worth your time and money. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Tell me if this sounds really dumb, and I'll cut it. But I was curious, so I looked it up. So a lot of the families and individuals we're going to talk about in this case have the same surname. Mm-hmm. of Lee and so I was just curious and I was like huh I wonder why that is and it, it has to do with naming conventions in Hmong culture that there are a limited number of surnames which relate to historical clans that are passed down Gotcha. Um, and so one of the families that we're going to talk about the family of Hang Lee there's a lot of like her boss's last name was Lee her friend's mm-hmm. last name was Lee and it's just because of the naming conventions and things like that I was just curious so I looked it yeah, up that's pretty interesting okay yeah. yeah keep this in that's fascinating okay I just didn't want to sound really dumb no I think that's really interesting all right so anyway I'm going to get into our case and I want to talk about who Hang Lee was yes Hang Lee was a young girl she immigrated to the U.S. with her parents and her 13 sibling wow 
Yeah, right? Big families. She immigrated when she was pretty young during the 1980s. And where our story is going to drop us is 1993. She was 17 years old. Mm. Hangley was a slight girl. She was only about five feet tall and 90 pounds. If you look at pictures of her, you'll find a couple of them where she just really rocks this very cool punk rock style. And I'm kind of obsessed with it. Oh, let me find out. Okay, there are two big pictures that will pop up. One is this one. She has big, bright hair, bright red dyed bangs, dark clothes, looking super kick-ass. Gorgeous. And then there's another black and white one that is just the most haunting picture I think I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And that was the picture that really dragged me into this case. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's haunting and beautiful. Yeah, like you just look at that picture and you're like, I need to know more about the story behind this picture. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. She looks um, very wise beyond her years in that picture. Yeah. Like she does not look like a 17-year-old. And you know, it's it's funny because a lot of people would... She wasn't described specifically as wise, but as just incredibly empathetic. Mm. She wanted to take care of you. Yeah. So... Well, she rocked this kind of very punk rock, tough as nails look. She really put that on. Mm. Like, she wanted to look tough. But in reality, she was just a sweet, naive, kind, empathic soul. Yeah. She would always put her friends and family before herself. She trusted people really quickly. She loved reading, especially romance novels. Oh, I love that. Now, at the time of our story, she's a high school senior, and she was saving up money while working at a local restaurant. Her goal was to attend the University of Minnesota. Mm. You're going to love this. She wanted to study creative writing because she wanted to share the stories of the Hmong people's experiences in the U.S. Oh, my gosh. I do love that so much. I was like, I'm going to make Tommy cry. All right. I love her. I love her. That's what I did, too. <laughs> Not about Hmong culture, but that's really awesome. Aww. Aww, I love that. <sighs> so Hang worked at a local restaurant with her brother. They both earned money that they contributed to the family. So she would set aside part for her college fund and part she would contribute to her family. Mm. Her parents did not speak English, but they did work within the community. Her boss, Eileen Lee, who managed the restaurant that she worked with, loved her a lot. In a lot of the like interviews with local television, her boss would actually give some interviews. Mm. Eileen would say her parents raised her right. You couldn't ask for a better girl than her. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Now, although Hang's boss was incredibly sweet and really cared for her, Hang just wasn't making enough money that she wanted to, to kind of split between the family and her own goals. Mm -hmm. So she started looking around for a second job um, where she could earn a little bit more money, save up a little bit more. And her friend Kia, or she also went by Nikki Lee, worked for a local painting and decorating company. I'm sorry. Okay. Her boss offered to talk to Hang about a potential job offer. So on January 12th, 1993, Hang calls her boss, Eileen, to say she can't come in, that she has an interview for a second job. Okay. Now, before she leaves the house that evening, around 6 p.m., she tells her brother 
Qua. And that's my best guess at a pronunciation. Please tell me. Feel free to correct me. Mm-hmm. It's my best guess here. Um, and I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Yeah, we're doing um, our best here. She tells Qua, if I don't come back, please come looking for me. I don't trust Nikki. Interesting. Hang left the house wearing black jeans, a black t-shirt that said Skid Row on the back, and a black jacket and heavy jewelry. Okay. So she would be very distinct. She had a distinct look. You can see in the picture. Mm-hmm. Totally. Hang and Nikki go to meet Nikki's boss, Steve, Mark Stephen Wallace. Now, this was a particularly cold night. It's January in Minnesota. Oof. It was cold, it was snowy, and actually overnight they ended up getting six inches of snow. Yikes. So Wallace picks the both of them up in a white pickup truck, and he says he's going to take them to a casino. Okay. To interview for a job at a painting company? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not certain what happened after that. Okay. There's no clear record of what happened between when he picked them up and when he drops off Nikki. Okay. But they end up, we know, being out pretty late. Okay. Wallace eventually drove both of them back to, I believe, his place of business, Mm -hmm. Um, but that part is pretty unclear. They get out of the white pickup truck and they switch into a small Chevy Cavalier. Okay. Both girls got in the Cavalier. He dropped Nikki Lee off at her house. And Hang was last seen climbing into the front seat after Nikki was dropped off. And that's the last he, she was seen. The last uh-huh. confirmed sighting was by Nikki. Okay. Now, Wallace would go on to say that he dropped Hang off at the corner of Rice Street and Wheelock Parkway, which was where the restaurant that she worked at was. No one at the restaurant that night reported seeing her. Mm. Meanwhile, at her house, her brother Kwa was up waiting for her. He went to bed a little bit early that night and then woke up intentionally to wait for her because he says that he didn't trust Nikki either, Mm. but he did always trust his sister that she Mm. wasn't one to not come home she wasn't one to do anything that would cause her family harm okay like even the stress of not knowing where she was she Mm -hmm. wouldn't do that yeah so when she didn't come home that night her brother was obviously really anxious but her father Zhongli and her mother Chong Vang didn't really know what to do or kind of how to navigate this situation. Mm. Um, They waited a bit to go to the police. And I think that they would kind of say, like, we didn't know really what to do. We didn't know what we were expected to do. Got it. Um, Now, her brother went to school the next day and he saw Nikki at school and asked her, where's Hang? And Nikki said she had no idea. Hmm. And it wasn't for about two weeks before the family would contact the police. Oh, wow. So two weeks passed between she's, when she's last seen and when the police get involved. Now, Jeez. 
again, I think that it was a situation where the family didn't really know how to navigate the situation. It's not like it didn't seem like there was a ton of police outreach or police presence. Yeah. In the neighborhood in general. And I think that they they were looking within the community themselves. Like the family oh, yeah. was asking around. Yeah. Yeah. Like has any, um, yeah. Exactly. Like, hey, we're has not anyone's like her? doing nothing? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure they were panicking by themselves. Her brother certainly was panicking and was looking around, was asking everyone in school, was asking everyone in the community. And what's kind of frustrating is that when um, Kwa does go to the police, they kind of make the assumption that Hang ran away. As they, yeah. I mean, they're going to As, teenagers. Yeah. yeah. With a 17-year-old, they're going to say, oh, she she's a runaway. Yeah. But, of course, like, the family, again, tries to point out, like, no, like, she's responsible. She has no problems in the family, no triggers or reasons for running away. But they go on to point out to the police she left behind a $100 paycheck, her college mm-hmm. savings money, and her purse, which is where she kept her knife and the lead ball that she would use for protection. Okay, so you're not going to run away without those things. Without those things. Now, again, everybody's kind of like, listen, Hank carried around a knife to look tough. She had no idea how to use it. Yeah. But still, if you're going to run away, those are things you're going to take. Absolutely. Like, you're going to take, especially your purse with protective items in it. Like, I've, you, you hear, do hear, like, occasional runaway stories where somebody wants to leave, like, their money behind and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just like strike out on their own or whatever. Yeah. Not yeah. Something for protection. No, especially if you feel strongly enough about it to have those things in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. But still initially the, the initial police search was super slow and super stalled. Yeah. And it went that way for months. And then I don't know exactly what happened here. Hmm. But something happened that made it speed up. The case was officially labeled as, quote, foul play suspected in July of 1993. So this is six months later. Police began talk, finally talking to the last few people who saw her. So Nikki Lee and Mark Stephen Wallace. Got it. Now... Nikki is going to get a lot of bad press, and I completely understand why, but I want you to kind of stick around to kind of hear everything she has to say. Okay. So Nikki was interviewed first. She said that she saw Hang walk away with some unknown men, and she doesn't know what happened after that. Mm. And that's where her first story ends. Yeah. Wallace was eventually interviewed, but he was immediately uncooperative. Oh. He said, I dropped her off, and that was the end of our interaction. Mm. He quickly hired a lawyer and refused to cooperate. Oh. Sus, right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. He would remain uncooperative for mm. the remainder of this case. Okay, that's not good. Not good. However... After some pushing and further interviews, some time passing, and I honestly think a little bit of guilt, Mm. Nikki was interviewed again. Okay. This time, she told the police that, well, I told you the first story because I thought that Hang ran away and she didn't want to be found. Hmm. 
So that's why I told you that. But now I want to say more. Interesting. Now she wants to talk about Wallace. Mm, Okay. Nikki Lee shares that she had worked for Wallace only a few months before Hang's disappearance. I think she started working for him in November. Okay. When she mentioned to Wallace that Hang was looking for a job and Wallace said, oh, well, I'll interview her. She was actually kind of confused Hmm. because Wallace didn't seem to have much business at Mm. his company. Okay. Her job at his business was basically to sit in the front room and just kind of sit and watch. Okay. She never witnessed any sales or customers. Oh, that's weird. What she would witness was simply Wallace would bring in young men, teenagers and young adult men, walk them into the back, wait and walk them out. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is he running a brothel? Let's just keep listening. Okay. (laughs) She said that Wallace told her one day that she should be a model. And she should let him take pictures of her. Oh, God. And so one day he took pictures of her. She doesn't know what happened to these pictures, and there's no description of them in the case files that I saw of what they were. So, okay. But it didn't really stop at that. Mm. She shared that one day um, while she was working there, Wallace gave her a drink. Oh, no. And he told her, You need to drink this, it will help you to not get sick from the paint fumes. Uh, no. So she took it. Remember, Nikki is 16, 17, too. Yeah, absolutely. So she took the drink, and after a while, she started getting dizzy and really tired. Mm. So she told Wallace, and he said, oh, that's the paint fumes. You need to finish the drink here. Let me make you another so you don't get sick. Interesting. She says she passed out. Um or she thinks she passed out, all that she remembers is waking up on the floor in a blanket. Mm. No, she stops short of saying that she was assaulted. Okay. She stops short of saying that. It's not included or denied. Yeah. So. And she may not fully know. And that's exactly really the heartbreaking part. Exactly. I think that's yeah. really, that's the scary part. But she does go on to say, I was scared of him she does eventually go on she hires a lawyer and she stops cooperating with the police as well okay so a lot of people in this case would get really upset with nikki that she kind of would walk hang into this situation and that she kind of lied initially in her story but again nikki was a teenager too she sounds scared. It sounds likely that she was victimized as well. So I don't, I don't want to go down that route. And like, yeah. Especially, I mean, it's it's kids. I mean, we're talking teenagers. Like, Exactly. I don't think she knew what race. she was doing. I don't think that she was like, oh, I'm going to do this terrible thing. No. Yeah. But... 
thanks to the information that she did provide, police start to dig deeper and deeper into Wallace. Good. And boy, do they find things. Oh, God. Look who's here. Hey, Satan cat. Satan cat. You here for protection? Maybe. I bet they're going to hear him purring. Oh, good. Guys, if you're purring at Satan cat, it's not anything weird. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me about uh, Wallace. He sounds awful. He is absolutely awful. Um, so in March, on March 31st, 1987, he was convicted of the violent rape of a 23-year-old woman. Whoa, okay. Uh, that's awful. I was not expecting that. And the violent rape of a 16-year-old girl just a, about a week and a half later on April 8th, 1987. Whoa. So... At the time of this crime, he was only just off parole after serving a year and a half in prison for these two sex crimes. Oh, my gosh. Now, what's interesting is that one of the women, he lured her by offering a job interview. Mm. So he offered her a job interview, and when she got into the car, he threw her to the ground— or. When she got out of the car into what she thought was the office of the business, mm. he threw her to the ground, put a sock in her mouth, taped her eyes and her mouth shut, tied her up, raped her, and stabbed her in the back. Oh, my God. So that is he, an extremely violent assault. An extremely violent assault. He told her that he would kill her if she told anyone what happened. Wow. Now, the reason he gets caught for these is because on May 19th, 1987, so about a month later, so these two happen in quick succession. He's not, he's still on the streets. May 19th, 1987, he contacts a 22-year-old woman via phone and offers her a job interview in the radio industry. Oh, What? The woman was automatically suspicious of this because she had just recently had some personal information stolen out of a teacher's car. Mm. And so the woman, this is so smart. I love this so much. She agrees to the interview on the phone with Mark. Mm. And then as soon as she gets off the phone, she calls the police and arranges to have an undercover cop go to the interview. That's so smart. I love that. The reason he was in prison is because of this situation, and I love it so much. Yeah. So they send a female cop undercover. The cop gets into the car and pretends to be the woman. Uh, Wallace drives her to an office, a supposed office, um, while they're being trailed distantly by another undercover cop. Whoa. (laughs) When they stop and Wallace attempts to assault the woman by throwing her to the ground, He is fucking immediately caught and arrested. That's amazing. Yes. He, his car is searched. He's found with a knife, a roll of black tape, the same as was used on the 16 year old woman. Oh man. Thank God for that girl. Smart, smart, smart. So good. It just makes me so mad that he only served a year and a half for this. Yeah, absolutely. That seems like a really gross injustice. It's a fucking disgusting injustice. Yeah. He would later admit that he broke into the car and planned the attack 
with the intention of raping someone. Wow. <sighs> now, in interviews with police, this is this is what's interesting to me, and I want you to keep this in kind of like your pocket my for a minute pocket until we get my to my regular it. pocket. Um, your curiosity pocket. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, in his interviews with police, he says, "Quote: Sometimes something just pops." I get these thoughts of just taking a girl in that way. Uh. Something just pops. Uh. Ew. He told one of his victims, quote, I'm not a rapist or anything. I'm just going to tie you up and take things. I don't want to hurt you, but I've killed someone before and I'll do it again. Oh, God. That is so, I feel like we've heard iterations of that so many times. I just, something snaps or something pops or something just takes over and I can't help this urge. Like that's Mm -hmm. such a, at this point it just feels like a trope. Like we hear that so much. Like, oh, I just can't control myself. Yeah. Like, I don't know, did you try therapy or something? Right. It's just like a way of trying to not have any culpability. Like, yeah, like you know what It's you not did. my fault because I can't control it. Exactly. Like, yeah, you know what? It kind of is, though. Like, just, I'm just going just gonna to go on, on a limb here. Now, if we want to kind of put something in the why bag, he does tell police that um, when he was a young child in elementary school, he had been sodomized by his principal. Mm, that's terrible. Yeah, that is terrible. So it's a little something in the Y bag. And he said, kind of implied, I've had like these rage and kind of domination feelings in relation to that. Again, go to therapy, please. Yeah, yeah, seriously. So he was convicted and sentenced to a year and a half for the two rapes that he admits to. But there were indications that he had ties to at least four others. Okay. Wow. Uh, he, yeah. So he's, I mean, he's I, a legit serial rapist. He is a legit serial rapist. Ugh. We know this for a fact. Yeah, that's really frightening. That's really frightening. And it's more frightening that he was given supervised release June 1991. Wow. Yeah. No. That feels like the kind of sentence and release you get for like a nonviolent like burglary offense or something like that does not seem commensurate with violent serial rape and even that's with an extended sentence like his sentence was extended for bad behavior what yeah Ugh. god what the heck so now despite this very very strong pattern of violent sexual crimes when it came to Hang's case, the police had no evidence against him. Mm. He was honestly the only suspect, the prime suspect. There was no one else connected with this crime. Yeah. But he refused to cooperate. That's so weird. Uh... It it makes me so mad, and you're only going to get more mad because we're not done yet. We're not even close mm. to being done. Okay. We're in... Page five of eight of my notes. (laughs) Dang, girl. So at this point, I think the police are pissed. Like at themselves and at Wallace. Yeah. Um, So they, for years, years after this, they keep their eyes out on Wallace. But they get nothing. Yeah. 
And this is, again, it's just so frustrating. Wallace kept committing petty crimes. Ugh. But not, like, he is just a career criminal. Like, he can't abide by any single fucking law. Yeah. But no evidence that they can pin to Hang's case. (sighs) Again, this goes on literal decades until 2009. Oh, my gosh. 2009, they finally get something of a lead. This wasn't even necessarily a lead. They were just watching him. Okay. (laughs) The home where Wallace was living was foreclosed on and Wallace was forced to move out. Mm. So they got approval from either whoever bought the house or from the bank to search (gasps) the house with cadaver dogs. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, that's not so much a lead as like a... (laughs) I'm just going to wait until I can slither on in here. Okay. I know. So three cadaver dogs searched the house. All three targeted the back wall of the garage. Oh. So a ground probe was used and the dogs were again. So the ground probe was used. Um, They bring the dogs back in to get a target. They have signs of human remains. So that means that at some point there was blood, bone, or flesh here. Okay. Now, records indicate that the garage floor was laid in 2004. Hmm. So that's 10 years after Hang's disappearance. But that means in that 10 years, anything could have been put there. Interesting. Permission was granted to drill into the floor where the dogs targeted. So they literally dug up a garage floor. Wow. I mean, I would let somebody do that. Like, no I mean, doubt. I fucking would. Yeah, yes. Totally. Um, but unfortunately, once they got through the concrete, the dogs could no longer identify the scent of human remains and the leads fizzled out. Hmm. Uh, and that makes me mad because I think that there's a lot of reasons why the, it would have thrown the dogs off. Yeah. Literally, we were just like grinding metal pipe in my garage. Mm. And the and the smell is awful. Yeah. Yeah. And confusing. And if you let that settle down and then come back, maybe. But it still throws off all of the scent microbes. You're mm. drilling things up. You're, you know, you're changing the entire like biosphere of that little area. Yeah. Um, weird. It just makes me so mad because that was the closest thing they had to a lead. Oh, God. Yeah. Could you imagine? And meanwhile, Wallace just keeps on criming. And he so he's committing like a lot of petty crimes. And my sense is that like kind of seemingly random ones like. Like he just can't stay out of trouble. Like he's just kind of petty theft check fraud. Yeah. Like just kind of career criminal kind of stuff. Like this is how I get by. This is how I live. Exactly. Uh, in 2010, he was convicted of identity theft and drug possession, mm. and he's back out on supervised probation. Yeah. So he's just a bad dude. He's just a bad person. He's yeah. just a bad person. And, like, so we know for a fact that he lived in the house that they dug up the yes. garage of what, at the time of Hank's disappearance. Okay. Yeah. So it was his home. Yeah. Okay. So that was the best lead that they had. So we're going to jump to 2012. This isn't a change in the case. I think it's just an important piece of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Hang Lee's father, Zhang Li, passed away. 
And in passing, he gave the family permission to have a spirit releasing ceremony for Hang, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about kind of toward the end because the family did continue to hold off on the spirit releasing ceremony, which we'll talk about, but essentially it's almost like a burial rites kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, nothing really happens there, but I think that's just an important point on the timeline. Yeah, it is. On August 18th, 2016. So this was only about five years ago. Yeah. And remember, Hang went missing in 1993. Yeah, wow. Police respond to a report for domestic abuse um, after somebody called for a need for a safety and welfare check on a woman. So someone in this woman's life calls the police and said, we need a safety and welfare check. We're worried about domestic violence. Mm-hmm. The only information we have on the woman is that she is referred to in police records as AS. Okay. So her identity has been protected. Gotcha. Okay. So AS had a domestic abuse no contact order against Wallace. Mm. And she hadn't been seen by loved ones in several days to several weeks. Oh, God police get a report that a license plate matching Wallace's was seen at a key in hotel in Woodbury, Minnesota. Mm. Police arrive at the key in hotel and kick in the door. Good. I like the drama. <laughs> I like this. This feels like it reads like an SVU episode. It totally does. Yeah. Police kick in the door and find a bruised, malnourished, terrified young woman. <gasps> Oh, my God. The woman, A.S., told police that she knew she had known Wallace through a friend. And she began living with him because she didn't have anywhere else to go. She was homeless and needed a place to live. The woman reported that since her time when she initially moved in with Wallace, that he had essentially kidnapped her, abused, raped, and sex trafficked her. Jeez. When she tried to leave the situation, Wallace found her, stalked her, and kidnapped her. Do we know um, if she was, like, a lot younger than him? Because at this point, he's going to be getting up there, right? She was young. She was in her early 20s. Oh, wow. Okay. Ugh. And do we know how old he is? So this is 2016, so he's 53. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Ugh. So she says during the time that he had imprisoned her, really, he had threatened her by telling her there was a girl from Minnesota that went missing. She came into my business now and never left. Uh. And then he said, I'll do the same to you. What? So, do they ever get a chance to look at his place of business with the cadaver dogs or anything like that? Never anywhere that I saw. Mm. Not in any of the police records, not in any of the newspaper articles that I saw were they able to search his business. Gotcha. Because that just seems like that's a that's a detail that he furnished to this woman. Like, uh-huh. it's not she came to my home or she got into my car or she met me. It's she came to my business. The reason why they were never able to do it is he just said, that girl from St. Paul. Mm-hmm. There have been hundreds of girls from St. Paul that have gone missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. So 
<sighs> so finally, Wallace was arrested, finally, after all of this, and held in Washington County Jail. Now, at the time of this arrest, he had dozens of warrants for domestic charges. Jeez. Basically, he just skipped around from county to county. Right. It's not like you're checking. Like, you're just mm-hmm. racking up. Yeah. So you abuse this one woman and ruin her life, and then you just move on and do it to another woman and then to another woman, and... And then there you go, round and round and round. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So police really, really hoped that when he finally got arrested, that he would finally open up about Hang. Mm. But again, he clammed up, he lawyered up, not saying anything. Of course he did. A.S. was able to provide excellent testimony and evidence against him. Obviously, like, this was as awful and gruesome as the crime scene scene seems. The police had a ton of evidence there. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's enough to get him off the street for sure. Or was it? For two years. Uh, What? Yeah. For that? He was sentenced in November 2017 for felony kidnapping. His sentencing gets a little confusing. Okay. So he was originally sentenced to just around two years. But then in prison, his sentence gets extended for throwing scalding water on another inmate's face. And that gets him 32 years. What? Minnesota, what is happening inside of you right now? (laughs) Do you hate, like, do you literally hate women? Like, that's my question. Like, why are violent, completely violent crimes against women treated the same way that my state treats, like, having a joint on you? Like, seriously? I fucking can't handle it. I can't handle it. This is why I told you to empty your rage pocket. Mm. Mm. Wow. Mm. I'm going to get you, though. I'm going to get you, though, okay? I got your back on this one. Okay, okay. All right. And this is the most recent update, okay? Okay. So he would have eventually been eligible for release, even after that extension. He would have had some eligibility for parole. Yeah. And if you actually look up his prison record, it's really confusing. Like, I looked at three different, like, inmate lookup sites and they all have different information on them interesting but i found his appeals documents uh for I what we're about to talk documents. about i love it. I, will, I, will, good stuff. I will read appeals so documents all stuff. day long seriously that's where all the best information is <laughs> so even though he would have been eligible for release the minnesota district attorney filed to have him identified as a sexually dangerous person and a sexually psychopathic personality. Okay, good. Fucking yes. Now, this is, it's a civil commitment. Okay. So what happens here varies by state. Basically, what a civil commitment means is that even though you've served your sentence, or what a civil commitment means in the case of a sexually dangerous person, is that even though you've served your sentence, you can remain incarcerated for public safety reasons. Hmm. Okay. Now, obviously, and rightfully so, this is an incredibly high standard to meet. Yeah. Upon evaluation, so I want to talk a little bit about this because this was fascinating. When I first looked up this case, I had no idea it went like this. Hmm. 
Yeah, super interesting. So upon evaluation for a sexually dangerous person or a sexually psychopathic personality, an individual must show, quote, the nature of the psychiatric diagnosis and the severity of the mental abnormality itself must be sufficient to distinguish the dangerous sex offender whose serious mental illness, abnormality, or disorder subjects him to civil commitment from the dangerous but typical recidivist convicted in an ordinary criminal case. It's a lot of words. Yes. Basically means you have to be that bad and that severe and that out of control that you cannot mesh with society. Mm-hmm. Murder yeah, That's really interesting. Yeah, he just like really <laughs> nodded. <laughs> that's really interesting though. Yes, it's uh you can look up the case standards on this under Kansas versus Crane 1993 if you're just that curious. And I am, so I will. <laughs> A sexually dangerous person civil commitment requires the government prove the following beyond a reasonable doubt that the person has been convicted as an adult, juvenile, or youthful offender of a sex offense. Um, The person is presently a prisoner, so they have to be in prison when this is filed. The person suffers from a mental abnormality or or personality disorder. Mm. And the abnormality or disorder makes the person likely to engage in sexual offenses, if not confined to a secure facility. Okay. That they have engaged in harmful sexual conduct. Mm -hmm. That they have manifested a sexual personality or other mental disorder or dysfunction. Okay. So he gets all these metrics. And he, he is likely to engage in harmful acts of sexual conduct again. Yes. Okay. Check, 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 check. So many checks, right? Yeah. Now, this is a 60-day evaluation. Okay. Like, you are observed for 60 fucking days. As you should be, if you're this guy. Okay. The court had to prove that Wallace had an utter lack of power and control over his sexual impulses, and as a result, is dangerous to others. Which, oh, hey, he already admitted to in 1987. Yeah, he just pops. He just, oops, I just pop. Gross. The things that they consider are like the nature and frequency of the assaults, the degree of violence, the relationship between the offender and the victim, the offender's medical and family history, and psychological testing. Now, they have very specific psych testing that they do for this that I am not familiar with. I looked a little bit into, but it's really, really interesting. He was evaluated by two different forensic psychologists, Drs. Pashuti and Gilbertson. And a lot of this, a lot of their findings were based on obviously testing with Wallace, um, evidence of the crimes, but also AS's testimony Mm. um, and kind of how they interpreted it, which it feels like they interpreted a little bit differently. Dr. Pichuti rated Wallace as average risk of reoffending. Well, what? Right. Like he is like, this is what he does. Yeah. He's also, I mean... Ugh, okay, whatever. Go, go continue, Pashuti. <laughs> well, Dr. Gilbertson. <laughs> Dr. Gilbertson was like, nah, nah, Pashuti. Okay. This is high risk. Now, Pashuti said that she interpreted the kidnapping as not sexually motivated and did not include the reports of sex trafficking. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point of the kidnapping, Pashuti. That's ridiculous. So the court 
also found that she did not follow proper coding rules for the standardized rating measures. Okay, good. Okay. <sighs> and that she also failed to account for, like, if Wallace... Will Wallace be properly support be properly supported in a less restrictive setting? She didn't answer that question. So mm. Gilbertson did account for the sex trafficking and the sexually motivated kidnapping. He said, yep, look at this past criminal activity. Um, he cannot be held safely in a less restrictive setting outside of incarceration. And there be like a less than certain chance that he will commit the crime again. Okay, there you go. So, both said, yep, he has problematic sexual behaviors, which I think is like the (laughs) understatement of the year. Yeah, yeah, just a little problematic, just a touch. So, the court says, yes, you know what, you are both a sexually dangerous person and a sexual psychopathic personality. Yeah. And you can't get out of prison. No, no, no freedom for you. Good. He doesn't deserve any freedom. No. So... He will be, this is so interesting, he will be held not on an actual sentence, but because he, like, literally cannot be a functioning member of society. Correct. That's fascinating. He obviously appealed this. Yeah. But on September 18th, 2020, so that is our most recent update, it is six months ago. Wow, very current, okay. Yeah, it was upheld meaning that he will remain incarcerated. Good, uh, good. Now, and I think that this was my biggest thing in wanting to do this story was that didn't make big headlines, like in looking through, you know, St. Paul newspapers. Mm -hmm. That didn't make big headlines, but I think that's an important thing for any of our listeners or anybody that is knowledgeable about this case to know, like if you are scared of this person, he can't get out of prison. Yeah, yeah, that is, it's comfort, I guess, yeah. He still, despite all of this, has not discussed the Hang Lee case. Mm. So, again, this is all just suspicion. We don't know. We are only going on opinion here. It's a strong opinion. (laughs) I have strong opinions. Yeah, me too, me too, me too. He is, again, only suspected. He has not admitted anything. The St. Paul police still consider Hang Lee a missing person with suspected foul play. Her photo still hangs in the St. Paul Police Department as a reminder of the missing girl. They are still taking tips. So if you have any information whatsoever, you can call the St. Paul Police Department. Mm. The contact person for this case is Sergeant Tom Bergren. His phone number is 612-291-1111. And his email is Kevin Bergren, K-E-V-I-N dot B-E-R-G-R-E-N at C-I dot St. Paul dot M-N dot U-S. So Kevin dot Bergren. Yeah. The case number is 93007298. I copy all of this information. Good. uh, Because I think that she deserves, her family deserves to know. They do. They really do. And I hope, beyond hope, that this man talks. I hope this man talks. I hope anybody who knows anything about this case talks. Even if it's not him, but he knows somebody. Yeah. Um, It sounds like he was involved in sex trafficking. 
So if it wasn't him, if it was a customer, if it was another John, like anything, yeah, anything, anything. this girl deserves her family deserves some closure and she deserves to move on. Yeah, without a doubt, they do. Which brings me to um, we are releasing this episode a day early in case you haven't noticed, because I thought that it would be nice to release it on April 7th, the anniversary of her spirit releasing ceremony. Yeah, I love that. So um, April 7th, 2017, Hang's family did have a spirit releasing ceremony. Now, this is a Hmong tradition that celebrates the person and releases their spirit to continue on to the other world and free her soul for reincarnation. That's beautiful. Her brother was quoted as saying, I fought not to do this. But we hope that releasing her spirit will raise awareness and maybe it will help some people really talk. Interesting. <sighs> yeah. I hope it does. Yeah, I really hope so. Now, I, I know that there was kind of some not great feelings between the Lee family and the Minnesota police, but it seems like they've really come together. I mean, okay. <laughs> like I said, they are still taking tips about this. Her photo hangs right there in front and center in the department um they attended the spirit releasing ceremony they really just want people to come forward and they really really want to solve this case so yeah i really hope that they do i i mean obviously right now like crimes against asian women are you know forefront in our news and in our mentality right now but Mm -hmm. it makes me sad that you know, it takes something massive like what happened in Georgia for us to recognize some of those, you know, those issues. And we certainly have a culture that like allows for a lot of fetishization of Asian women without any real like cultural blowback for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it really makes me wonder, like, you know, just how much somebody like Wallace could get away with Mm-hmm. specifically against Asian women because of some of that. Like, it's one of the, it feels like one of the most allowable forms of racism and predation mm-hmm. that we have as a culture, you know? Yeah, it's almost like downplayed as a joke often. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, did, I was kind of thinking, so I wrote this story a few, like weeks several weeks ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. But I think after what happened in Atlanta, it really kind of brought everything home and really brought it together. So, yeah, and it's just, you know, I think we have a responsibility to pay attention to all these things, you know, mm-hmm. as informed people that wish to live in a better world, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we got to stay informed about this stuff and, and just to be aware, like it, it makes the whole time my head was spinning on like, was he like generally like specifically targeting Asian girls and women? Like, was he was that kind of a profile for him? Like, and that was his real relationship with Nikki. Like, yeah, and it's it's interesting because all of the all of the known identified victims that we have, their identities have been protected, um, so we don't know. And I also think it's interesting that the fact that their identities have been protected to me speaks to how dangerous this person probably was. Yes, yes. And how ruthless, like the fact that you have to have your identity hidden mm-hmm. basically because he will, he's a career criminal, he knows how to be shady 
and he knows mm-hmm. how to be violent and you have no you know you have no recourse against that kind of person yeah. without some serious protective action yeah like what do you, what are you supposed to do yeah jeez and I think about just like her community up in in the 90s and the Hmong community hadn't really been fully established with kind of the thriving culture I think that they really have in Minnesota now <laughs> yeah I mean you're talking actually like just kind of like the first decade of people really moving in yeah and yeah. you know her family her parents um did not speak English and like we said that they kind of struggled to even get in contact with the police and things like that that mm. you know that is a population that is vulnerable and but he's locked up now he can't get back can't get out good good and again like I think we keep having these interesting questions about like the function of justice like he's mm-hmm. locked up he can't get out like on a philosophical level is that good enough you know Mm -hmm. scare quotes good enough or do we need like emotionally or judiciously do we need for this to be had out in a court of law yeah does it matter that he gets a fair sentence because right now he's sentenced for life i just think those kinds of questions are really interesting well, and I think it's so interesting that despite all of the atrocious crimes that he committed, he was a genuine serial rapist and mm-hmm. maybe more. None of those are actually what got him put away for life. Yeah, it's, that's unreal. Minnesota. Minnesota. What is happening? Do better. Yeah, I don't understand any of that. Yeah. I don't understand any of that. So. Unbelievable. Yeah, Rage Pocket is filled for the week. Yeah, it is. It's chock full, and I don't know how much more it can take. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sorry. It's chock full. This one has, this case has been sitting on my heart for several weeks, so. Yeah, yeah, it really has. It really has. And thank you, Midwretched fam, for riding with us, rolling with us. And for coming back after we missed a week. Yeah, we... And when we say we missed it, we mean like we missed it as in we weren't able to complete our episode, but also we missed it like we were sad all the time because we didn't do it. <laughs> I literally am. Like I get so sad now. I know. <sighs> so we will do our best to have better luck <laughs> with our technology. <laughs> so Well, now I have not. a good computer guy for anybody to go to. So. Yay. And Yay. I have borrowed a computer for the time being. So um yeah, let's hope that send us good vibes, people, because we need it. <laughs> and we'll send you good vibes right back. Yes. So it'll totally. be a vibe exchange. Do. Yes. We're always exchanging the vibes, man. Vibes. We oh. totally are. We totally are. So give us are. some vibes for next week. Uh so the vibes next week are uh bad because they always <laughs> are. <laughs> bad vibes only. Bad vibes only. Uh we will be going back to your ancestral land. The great state of Ohio. <gasps> Yay. Yes. For a series of uh, very tragic. Uh, we're doing another serial killing. Ooh. Okay. Wait. Yeah. Who is it? Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. You'll find out. You have <sighs> I'm to look on an episode list. I'm deleting it right now then. No, you're not. Stop. You oh, yeah, can't. No. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. No, don't cheat. I wanna, we made I a vow. Cheat Are a you seriously bit. trying to beat me to this? <laughs> I already have a document open. So do I. <laughs> you biatch. No. No. Delete. Scroll, ah. you fucker. Scroll. Oh, ha ha. Dang it. 
you suck. <laughs> I don't know who this is, so. Gosh, why are you like this? We made a promise to each other. I just wanted to know the name. I'm not going to look it up. But <sighs> I'm just going to do something different then. No, don't. No, I can't. I'm a Virgo. I need lists. Um, yeah, so come back next weekend for a serial Ohioan murder, kidnapping, terrible odyssey of, oh, of sadness. Yeah. That only the Buckeye State can can give us. Yeah, so please come back for that. It will sound way better than it sounded in that pitch, I promise. Um, yeah, anything else before we go? Um, I'm really tired. I, my lower back hurts, so. Well, then I guess we should sign off. So uh, vibes, guys, vibes. Be nice. Eat cheese. And know that we love Thank you. you. We're sending you vibes and we're we're getting your vibes back and we appreciate it. Vibe, 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 vibe. <laughs>